everybody to says going on. Welcome everybody to another episode of Paving of Horror. We are on episode 19. We gotta we gotta pick up the like we gotta do something big for next week. Episode 20. I didn't think this panel would ever get this far to be honest. Well it just takes patience and dedication. Absolutely. Uh so as everybody knows, we're talking about two George Romero classics, classics for a reason. Uh, I don't really have any big announcements other than just we're sorry that the Buffy review has been taking longer than the other two did. Just life is life. <laughs> also, it's season three, so it's the best one. Right. So we're we're letting it age a little bit, you know. Keep it going. So why don't you give us just a brief synopsis of the movies that we're we're talking about today, and then. Sure, yeah. What? Um, starting with Dawn with the Dead, I assume, because you probably can't talk okay. about Dawn before you... You probably can't talk about Day before you talk about Dawn, so... No, uh, Dawn was from Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. It's just as nice as darkest before the Dawn. That's what I was thinking, but we didn't mention Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, yeah Night, Dawn, Day. Yeah. Uh, so, the other thing I, I guess I want to mention as well... I think we're just going to put Resident Evil Village on hiatus for right now. Because mm-hmm. um, we've got other projects in the work that I think I want to do more. Like mm-hmm. Buffy and stuff like that. And we only have... Really, I, ideal, idealistically, we have like two days a week. Saturday is the case. Yeah. And Saturday, I watch the movies that we're reviewing before we go live to talk about them. Uh, but we will get to it at some point. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so if you guys are waiting for that. And honestly, like, just to be honest with you, our gaming videos, they're fun, but this is the bread and butter of this channel. Yeah. We'll do them occasionally. We're not going to stop doing them entirely. Just No, you know. of course not. I still want to show Milton, like, The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2 and stuff like that. But that also frees me up to play stuff in my own time that I'm like, ah, I don't really want to replay this because then I'm going to have to do it again. <laughs> yeah. But uh, projects, we are going to continue writing reviews for the um, the WordPress site that we have up. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, that is the other thing as well because I don't think we talked about this last week. Uh, we have launched a, for lack of a better term, blog. Uh, somebody called it a fanzine, but it's not really a magazine, so I don't want to call it that. Uh, we are on WordPress and a website my buddy showed me called Medium. Uh, if you guys are interested, I always post the links on Twitter when we write a piece, me and Milton have each written a piece, and I believe Austin is working on a short story. Uh, we're not going to limit views, we're going to be doing short stories, things like that, if anybody wants to submit. If you would like to submit a story to us, uh, hit me up on Twitter, or uh, Instagram, or leave me a comment, and I'll message you somehow, um, something like that. And uh, we'll take a look at your story. If it, if it gets at least two out of three yeses, we'll happily publish it, I think. That sounds fair. If, just make sure it's horror and not something else. <laughs> like, we're a horror channel. <laughs> you, can, um, you can do, like, other subgenres, but the main genre has to be horror. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, you know, horror comedy. Like, horror science fiction. Stuff like that. romance. I don't know. Uh, this kind of exists. I mean... All to say, you put heart and dedication to it, put into quality, uh, we'll review it. If we like it, yeah, we would be happy to publish it for you. Absolutely. Now, 
I can't promise you it'll get many views yet. We're still a small channel, but it's publication. Um, and we don't get paid for it. So, I mean, I don't really have anything to give you in terms of compensation other than our appreciation and support. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. Um, so we're going to just kick it off because I don't know about Milton, but, or, but I am dying to talk about these dead movies. See what I did there? Yeah. It was a really shitty joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the 1978's Dawn of the Dead, the zombie movie. Yes. Perhaps this is the most famous zombie movie? The most famous one, but Night, I think, is the most important one because, of course, it starts it. But at the same time, let's be honest, Dawn is the one everybody ripped up. Oh. Uh, so Dawn of the Dead is the story of four, four strangers. Uh, Fran, Roger, Peter... Yeah, what was the last one? Um, they have the most generic names. It's, so I, I've also noticed that sometimes the nicknames that people receive are the same ones, and people will, will remember the nicknames a bit better. So you hear Flyboy. I know who that is. And the, But you will also know Flyboy as a nickname for another character in another movie. Day of the Dead, for instance. Um, but yeah, I think the names of them are Stephen, Peter, Roger, and Fran. That's right. I think. Uh, who meet up through various circumstances and decide to take shelter in a mall as the world is collapsing around them to the zombie outbreak. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until recently that I picked up on some of the social commentary because as a teenager, a lot of that stuff was mm-hmm. um, But especially uh, just Full, uh, full disclosure as well. We watched the extended cut, which is still, I think, not the defi- I think the theatrical cut is actually the definitive way to watch this film. But for anybody who doesn't know, this movie is extremely hard to find. Uh, at least if you're being honest about it, which we are. We 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 are honest about the way we watch movies. But I'm just saying, sometimes you know it's hard to find movies. Like this movie goes for like fifty bucks a pop. I'm not paying 50 bucks for a movie. I don't care how fucking much I love it. <laughs> um, and it's, this movie's it's kind of a shit that's twice a life movie, but the whole world's going to shit around them. And it's brilliant. So, since this is your only second time viewing, we watched it together Monday in our Discord, but that's kind of a rough first viewing, just because, you know, we're talking, and, you know, it's hard to focus on the movie. So I, I'm just kind of curious what your experience was with Dawn of the Dead. Well, I did it with you, so it was a great experience, John. But, <laughs> no, but I, I really did enjoy it. It was it was definitely um, it's very different from watching a modern movie, especially. You definitely get a sense of a smaller budget and a more personal vision, um, because there's there's a lot a much greater focus. On the set and on this and on the, the design of the scene, less so than the characters themselves. Until you get into portions of scenes where they actually are dedicated to character drama, the, those two facets of it really just—it gives a very personal touch to movies, rather than something that's written by committee, where you have to do like a checklist of certain things that you have to do inside of a movie in order for it to appeal to like a general audience. This film has focus on what it wants to be, 
you definitely get a very um, clear sense of that. And I think it, I think it just makes it a much more comfortable film to watch. Even, even despite the fact that it's definitely a horror movie, you definitely don't feel very uncomfortable watching it. It's, it's very, it's, well, I wouldn't say comfortable because of course it's a horror movie, but I would say it's, um, it's a, it's a movie where if it was a person, it would be a relatable person, despite the fact that you probably don't share a lot of you know, personal experience with it of sorts. I'm not really sure how to properly, and I'll, you know, use an analogy for it, but. So, yeah. if I may, what I think he's saying is this is a fun film. Yeah. Like, the characters are having fun, and you're going to have fun watching it. But once the ideas sink into you, and you start listening to the things going on in the background, you realize, oh, this is a horrifying world. It's going to shit. Um, I don't know if you had this, but this movie's kind of more relatable now than it was, like, 20 years ago. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Especially like we never like you tell me that that the entire world cordons itself off in like apartments or buildings, and only certain people are allowed to like go out and get like continue their jobs. Who knows? It's like it sounds like a doomsday scenario, but we went through it. Um, America was a little late to the party, but we eventually joined up in March of 2020. But starting in 2019, certain countries were already suffering from uh, on madness. But, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this, this movie, like many of the greats of the time, are, you can tell this takes place in the 70s. Because they weren't, they weren't worried about, oh, future-proofing this movie. You know, making it timeless, like timeless or anything. But by not worrying about that, they made it timeless through its themes and what it's saying. Because a movie like this is always going to be relevant. Because human beings will never change. Never fundamentally change. They'll change some of their habits, like some of the technology might change every so often. But for the most part, you can honestly insert yourself into this pretty cleanly. Because we still have guns. We still have helicopters. Aside from that, it's you had to think of given these very basic forms of logistics and self defense, you know, how would you insert yourself in something like this? Would you go into a place that's heavily populated and very dangerous? Or would you try to go to somewhere where you can get everything you need? It's rather isolated, you can enclose certain sections pretty easily. Because um it's a shopping mall. You have a lot of sections that are essentially designed to be isolated from each other. A lot of walls, a lot of doors. In uh, a shopping mall is oddly enough for this sort of situation one of the most effective strategic locations that you can use because so many sections are discordant up from each other as opposed to like a farm where you have like maybe a, like a low clearance fence, but that's not going to stop like horses and zombies despite the fact that, you know, food can be, you know, plentiful. Yeah. For instance. And, but on the flip side of that, and the movie addresses this as well, at some point that place can start to feel like a prison. Yeah. Um, and at some point, close. Yeah. at some point, because the character talking about this, you know, what have we done? I think it's Fran that ask, asks me, what have we done to ourselves? Like, they got complacent, and at some point, like, what do you do as, after a while? Like, you're stuck there. It's no way to live. 
it's a sense of cabin fever that you get, certainly. Um, Dawn of the Dead, the remake, addresses it a bit more directly. This Dawn of the Dead kind of just, it's kind of a, um, a subtext thing that occasionally becomes context for being stir-crazy, but it never becomes the primary reason why they leave. The reason why they leave is because of, you know, and inter, you know, a force of interlopers. You know, these bikers. Led by Tom that, Sabini. Yeah, which is very cool. It's very, very cool. Uh, which, so he also showed up in Land of the Dead. And he's wearing that exact same clothes. It's like a nice little reference. I thought that was, thought that was kind of cool. They they said, like, behind the scenes, it was the same zombie. But, like, these movies are not connected enough for me to believe that. No. Oh, I meant to grab my copies of these movies for props, but oh well. But, um, yeah, I think I think the one that they touch on that most with is Stephen. Is it Stephen or Roger, the the white cop? They t- they touch on all these characters pretty closely for the most part. Um, yeah, uh, but I mean specifically with this character, I would probably say I'd probably say uh, Peter probably receives like the most attention out of all of them overall. But only, but only inches because he survives the longest along with Fran. But Fran, of course, doesn't get a whole lot of screen time because she's not exactly an active character until around maybe a quarter of a third of the way into the movie. Before then, you see her in the beginning being involved, but by that point, she doesn't have a whole lot of control over what's going on until she decides to assert herself into the scenario. Okay. Yeah, it was Roger. My point was going to be, but I just couldn't remember which character. Mm-hmm. Um, at a certain point in the film, we see Roger really starting to stir crazy with the trucks. He gets cocky, yeah. and it leads to his death. Um, he he gets cocky while they're moving some trucks. Gets bitten twice, um, and these these movies are never consistent how the bite works. But it's fine. Like it's a small detail that I'm willing to overlook that, and otherwise. In a really great film, uh, but it, it it definitely says something about like what being trapped like that, hiding from the real world, can do to a person. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's definitely very sad what happens to Roger because um, it's it's easy for movies, especially zombie movies that are structured to normally have a lot of like in focus characters die to like make them unlikable or stereotypical in some way, shape, or form. But Roger's a very non-stereotypical, you know, still very uh, sympathetic character. Because even though he's he sees himself involved on perhaps what he would say is like a a morally repugnant group. Yeah, because he he sees his fellow comrades in arms essentially force themselves upon the public and kind of do some stuff that he feels are, you know, th- these morally reprehensible actions, he kind of sets himself apart. Later on, starts losing his mind. Slowly starts decaying and becomes a bit more emotional at the end when he becomes closer and closer to death. Yeah. Well, and you and you get those little character moments well after, like after Roger dies, uh, you get that nice little dinner scene with Fly Boy and Fly Girl. Uh, and Peter goes out to where they buried Roger and Porsche. Which, I think this is also a classic example of these characters are not much on paper. 
but these actors are all really good at w- with this material and yep. give them a gravitas that you care about. Yeah, the uh, actor's uh, Peter is Ken Forey. Ken Forey. He is Ken awesome. He's my yeah. favorite in this movie. Yeah, Rogers played by Scott Reiniger, I think. Yeah, did you pull up his Wikipedia page? He... Ken Forey's? No, yeah. Scott Re- Reiniger. Okay. Well, I could easily pull up both. Yeah, he's best known for Dawn of the Dead. He is still alive. Um, yeah, look at his official title. Yeah, Scott Reiniger, Prince of Gore. Yeah, apparently he has Afghan lineage and is like royalty by an ancestor. Hmm. I did not know that. That he also hasn't weird. been in a movie since the remake of uh, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, he was. He took the role of the general in uh, yep. 2004. Yeah, he's been in exactly five films and one television uh, credit. This one television thing was apparently as Falcon Crest, like a truck driver in that TV thing, uh, the soap opera, apparently. Okay, so apparently he's a teacher in Hollywood. But you get that with a lot of these older movies, uh, like big horror movies. They were in one big movie and then just kind of, you know. No, that's very interesting. That is very interesting. But yeah, Ken Forey's, uh, Ken Forey's also pretty cool. Uh, Galen Ross plays Fran and David Emge. Dave plays Flyboy. Yeah. yeah. And out of all of these, though, I will say Ken Forey has actually had a pretty deep career. Uh, yeah. He he had a comeback recently when Rob Zombie started making films, and I'll, I'll show you a couple of those. I'm I'm sure you'll hate them, but he's awesome. I love I we'll love see. Ken Forey. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, in a lot of this, the the subtext in this movie is exactly that subtext. Uh, George Romero just wanted to make a movie in a mall. He's like, yeah, this is a good place that you know to hide out during a zombie apocalypse, and so he made a movie about it. Uh, and then some of the you know, the, the commentary on capitalism and consumerism and stuff like that is just a natural byproduct of making that film, which is what your movie could always be. Yeah. Uh, we reviewed Land of the Dead a few months ago, and that's kind of the opposite thing, even though I like that movie. that's He's trying to say something, and I don't think it works. It's he's he often says stuff in his films as subtext just in general. You can definitely see that with Day of the Dead as well. The problem with Land of the Dead is that it tries to say too much and says it too quickly. Yeah. So it just zips past a lot of stuff without giving us a lot of time to think and consider. Which, in this film, it's definitely the opposite effect because you have a lot of time to consider what's going on and to mull things over. And you get to see how the characters are affected by this this gradual shift in everything. Uh, I got to give a special shout out to the score as well, both by Goblin and Dario Argento. It should not work in this kind of movie, but it does, and it's awesome. One of my favorite films. Yeah, it is pretty good. You've got the elevator music. Yeah, Day of the Dead is also pretty good, and we have to give it up for Tom Savini as well. Not just for his performance, which is also a pretty standout 
part in this movie, but just just the effects. The effects are awesome. They're well, B movie effects, but they're they're fantastic. And I, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But uh, yeah. what I was going to say is, you got that element of music stuck in your head. Oh, thanks. Now I now I definitely do. I I was <laughs> actually trying to forget. It's not a bad tune. It's just it's one of those things that you can't get out of your head once you start thinking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um. So I'm not going to, I mean, obviously I'm going to give a shout out to Tom Savini because he's awesome. Like, he is my favorite, like, special effects guy. Uh, He did, you know, This Day, Friday the 13th. Like, every movie that I've seen that he's involved with, even if the movie itself is not good, it's watchable because of his effect. I will say, though, yes, this is, okay, this is going to be weird, but this is one of his weaker work, I think. But it's still good because it has a a personality that it gives. Uh, the zombies weren't supposed to look the way they do, but I think it gives kind of a a person, like I said, a personality to this film. Uh, and I, I kind of like the gray blue looking looking zombies. Yeah, I think that the worst thing you can do with your effects, especially if you're going to make your zombies look a certain way, is to have things be inconsistent. And, and it's so all consistent. And it's all consistent. So even though, of course, they do look a little odd if you were, like, isolating this film apart from other ones, blue faces looks a little odd sometimes, but the fact that it's consistent, you quickly get over it. Because Although, you, you get used to it. There's one thing I noticed that on this watch through, and I've noticed it before, but I never thought about it. But at the end, where it's just chaos again, uh, there's one of the bikers gets bit like on the shoulder, right? And I think one of the effects malfunctioned or something because there's no blood, and it just looked like they ripped plastic. Well, it, that's just a fun little like I noticed this thing. It, that's not an actual criticism. But I just noticed that because that's the only like zombie attack in this entire trilogy that I think has no blood. Or Um, blood or whatnot. Yeah. No, not everything is like completely consistent, but you know, a lower budget production, you can forgive like one spot out of like, you know, all the others that absolutely played very well. And it happens for a split second and then you you don't see it again. Absolutely. and Tom Savini's like experience only gets like better with age as it keeps going along. So. Oh yeah, and we'll get into that with the next film, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, oh yeah, because with special effects, you know, they they had a very small budget for for the time, and they were in a, they were shooting on set, but they only had a certain amount of time to film. Um, and I think you might have brought this up, but that's why the lighting is the way it is. They didn't have time to set up lights. They're just using whatever lighting is in the mall, and it somehow works. I would say it works pretty very well, actually. Sometimes, if if you try to make it, in, I think the only thing you could do is either artificially decide to darken certain sections, and then it would look weird because you're supposed to be inside of a shopping mall where everything's lit, you know, fairly consistently. Or you overexpose the lighting in a lot of sections and then things look a bit too bright and cheery. So, 
Honestly, I would say the fact that the lighting seems consistent with, you know, a mall and it hasn't been changed actually, I think, helps the film a bit. I think so, too, because this is one of those, and I noticed this as well the two times that I've watched it this week, is it doesn't look like a movie, which I think in a way adds to the terror because it looks like we're just watching something that really happened. I mean, other than obviously, you know, the goofing and zombies, but that's fine. I like I like those zombies. Um, yeah, so, uh, I, I really wish Tom Savini and, uh, George Romero had worked more besides these two films. Uh, I think if he had done Day at Land of the Dead, as much as I love Greg Nicotero, which I think is work on that film, that film also had some really spotty scenes, like that weird CGI priest head. Um, but yeah, there's... You get, and if you're a gore fiend, like I love gore in films, uh, this will, this will, this will wet your appetite a little bit, but it's not as gory as I think some people think it is. It was probably in the seventies, you know, this was a very shocking film. Um, of its time, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. But I think by today's standard, it's a little tame, but like, like we mentioned, you know, the themes and the writing hold it up to, this is still the best zombie movie ever made. Like, nobody has surpassed this. You're free to disagree with me, but you're wrong. No, if you If you guys have a zombie film that you like better, feel free to let us know. Uh, but for my money, this is the zombie. For me, I've been mulling it over quite a bit. We'll get into it. But I would definitely say that it may not be like the best zombie movie, but it is definitely one you have you should pay attention to the most. You have, you have quite a bit of attention to Night of the Living Dead as well and Day of the Dead, but I would say give this film quite a bit of attention because it is a very important film, I think, for cinema. Absolutely. And don't get me wrong, yes, no disrespect to land or no disrespect to night or day. Both of those are also phenomenal films, and we'll get into day a little bit here in a bit. Um, but this is this is the zombie movie that I hold all other zombies. Yeah, and give and give credit as well to its plot structure as well because if you want to get into a film that deals with um, you know like a sense of you know claustrophobia, isolation, you know pandemic, and you know a lot of character drama with that, the best thing you can do is to try to get all the exposition of your movie most effectively communicated very quickly in the beginning. And this film definitely does that in the newsroom. Because although you don't necessarily see all the destruction at the very beginning, you already get a sense for what's going on. And it's like all the news stuff that they talk about, all the people just in a frightened panic, where they're barely keeping things together in the newsroom of all places, where it's supposed to be a sterile, overly produced environment and they can't keep things under control, it shows how much society degrades in the, the Well, and, and and I agree, and it also shows you exactly how far we've gone already. Yeah. I, kind of taking a couple shots at the, at the media. Because you get, like, the guy that's in charge of the state that wants yeah. them to run the list of the safe zone. Even if they're not uh, not active, if they're not running those sites, nobody's going to watch the media. It goes into that idea of overproduction, where basically we're deciding to put up things just for the sake of, you know, 
essentially keeping our livelihoods you know, up. Whereas like they're they're interest they're self interested, and the characters say yeah, and so are we, and our personal self interest is not involved in keeping the new studio together. It's not helping us. It's not helping anyone else right now. So yeah, up yours. All right. So uh, any final thoughts on Dawn? Man, this it's like. It's like a movie where you could definitely examine it like piece by piece and then see quite a bit. Um, we could just talk about general trivia because there's quite a bit of trivia here. Um, when we were watching the movie, we were talking about how Tom Savini more than probably accidentally used a real corpse for like, for a prop. It wasn't his fault or anything. He got it from someone who told him it was a prop, but apparently he got tested to be an actual skin. An actual corpse. He he still says even to this day, no, it's not true. But um, you know, whether or not it's an urban legend definitely makes uh, the behind the scenes interesting. Uh, the bikers were actual bikers, just brought onto the film to essentially become the antagonists at the end, which kind of gives like a sense of you know personality to the film that like a lot of other overly produced you know movies you know, don't have. Yeah, just stuff like that. It's definitely a film worth uh, exploring. It's a production. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and I was really glad that you looked into that because that was just something my dad told me as a teenager, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. Didn't think twice about it, but that's awesome. Um, Yeah, I mean, I could talk about this movie forever for hours. Uh, I'm in the middle of doing a top 10 horror film list, but I took a break for like a week slacker. Uh, and this made the number two spot. It's just one of the most like watchable films I think ever made. Uh, it's brilliant. Uh, kind of, kind of uh, cynical, but not in a dark way. Just okay, that doesn't make sense. But what I mean is, there's a very cynical feeling to the way that the world is falling apart. But it's still a fun film. What what how I would describe it would be this film is very critical. I wouldn't say cynical because there is a hopeful portion at the end because despite the fact that the world itself may be falling apart, certain individuals can actually find a way out and be able to reconstruct things elsewhere and try to restart again. See, but even with that ending, like, yeah, it's hopeful, but then you realize that they have very little fuel left. They may not even reach Canada, which is their original goal. True. But it never, it never, despite the fact that it's all always seems a bit down, Hope is always more useful when things seem a bit darker. And the fact is, they don't die in the movie, which shows that there is hope despite their current uh, difficult circumstances. Um, You know what else? We're thieves and we're bad guys. That's what we do. Hmm. That's that's definitely how they they acknowledge the the labels that society would give them. It goes into a larger discussion about present authority being de-established because nature finds a way to destroy it. And so then how saying? there's also an idea of of course of how authority kind of reestablishes itself as well. But in I would say Dawn of the Dead has a bit more of a positive approach to the idea of authority being reestablished because it's you see in this very small community that they kind of establish a set of rules for themselves uh, of sorts. 
but are able to kind of negotiate them freely, just depending what the situation is. Day of yep. the Dead has a much more uh, critical approach to that. It kind of examines it where authority is reestablished. Well, hold, hold on, you're getting very you're getting ahead of, you're getting ahead of yourself. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this this is an easy five out of five. I will absolutely watch this again. I've seen it probably thirty or forty times. I never get sick of this. This is this is the movie that, that inspired my love for the entire zombie genre. I've seen so many bad zombie movies just because they're zombie. This, this I love this film. Uh, what about you? What what uh, what is your rating? I will give it a four point five. I there are some movies that I've enjoyed slightly more. Um, but I really do like this movie too, and it's very important too. So it's critically pretty well written, despite yep. the despite the fact that you don't really need a whole lot of dialogue. A lot of stuff is just communicated, sometimes just by the scene speaking for itself. Yeah. So I, I have to ask before we move on here, since last week we did a 2004 that we did a little background. It's also the first original and remake that we've covered between this week. Yeah, well, I did a brief thing with, like, Night of the Living Dead when we reviewed the Savini remake of it. Yeah. I I I did watch that movie. But, yeah, officially, this is the first. So I have to ask, how did the remake and the original For me, personally, so this actually goes into another discussion of, you know, the original Dawn. Uh, where we get into the discussion of should zombies show a sense of power, like individual power where they can run, they're just as strong as a normal person. A thing that this film really does touch on is the idea of zombies individually are slow and lumbering and not actually too much of a threat. But to get but as they clump up and as if you definitely don't take the threat seriously, it creeps upon you. So it just, it shows in many ways of definitely of char- how characters interact with them kind of shows their strength of character. If you take the threat seriously from the get-go and are very careful and cautious, you know, it shows that you're a more effective character and it, you're probably a better character. Then, of course, you see the bikers and they don't take the threat seriously at all. They make fun of these things. They throw pies in their faces and shows a very general disrespect for the scenario. And they eventually get overtaken. Dawn of the Dead loses quite the remake from Zexner kind of loses a bit of that discussion because from the get-go the zombies are able to run, be as strong. If one of them gets at, at you, you could easily die. It doesn't necessarily make a bad movie because I still enjoyed it. It's still a good remake. It's still written, you know, competently. And you definitely get a sense of the characters will constantly have a goal that they're trying to get to, especially because they get out of the mall because they address being stir crazy. I do think sometimes some things are lost in translation, though, with certain adaptations because. As much as I'd like to credit Zack Snyder a bit, I'm not sure if he's actually trying to say anything. Because I think he's just trying to make a decent movie, but I'm not... George Romero at least has like a vision for what he wants to do like after the film kind of is. So 
Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to talk about. It's like you get a sense you're missing something. Yeah, I mean, that's how I've always felt about it. I I like that remake. I think it is one of the better remakes because it takes that source material and does its own thing with it. It's not trying to recreate that original vision because you're never going to be able to recreate Romero's vision. Uh, But like like you said, there's something lost in the the translation of a fast zombie because then humanity's doing what? Because these things are faster, smarter, well, not smarter, but faster and stronger. Whereas the zombies in the Romero films, the only reason they win is because we won't work together. And that's a big, you know, running the plot through through God. Uh, is, you know, you get those people on TV where they're like, we have to be rational about this. But we can't be. At least in, in the Romero films, they aren't. And uh, to kind of segue into our next film, we see what happens to us because we couldn't work together. Yeah. Uh, Day? Day legitimately makes me uncomfortable in some places, but like in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Would, would you like me to summarize Day of the Dead, John? I would love that. Day of the Dead is... It's great. I love Day of the Dead. It's definitely... It's an hour shorter, um, about, more or less, than Dawn of the Dead. Uh, made in 1985. Well, actually, filmed in 1984, released in 1985. I'm going to butt in just real few. quick. Just keep in mind, we watched the extended cut, the theatrical right. cut of Dawn of the Dead is actually only two hours, right. but there's really only a 20 minute Okay. Even so, pacing's a bit faster. The pacing of Day of the Dead is very different from Dawn of the Dead. Because despite the fact that you're definitely getting, like, two, like, enclosure, like, major, you know, backgrounds and scenes... Day of the Dead's pacing is quite a bit faster because you definitely get the sense of uncomfortable, like, unease and just general hostility between a lot of people in, in Day of the Dead. You, uh, we start out uh, in a helicopter where essentially one woman is trying to direct the efforts of a bunch of people to try to see if they can find survivors. They aren't successful. They make their way back to the military base, which is essentially home base for the moment. We learn later on that they're kind of people are kind of contracted there in a sort of project to see if they can find survivors and perhaps also figure out why the zombie threat exists and perhaps how to get rid of it. But it's taking a lot longer than most people would hope. The uh, military personnel on hand are getting rather uh, antsy, to say the least, and are their morale is getting low. And because they're the ones with the guns and that they're stronger than the scientists present, uh, they eventually start asserting command and control in a rather antagonistic fashion. And hijinks ensue. What I'm saying is that I'm running this monkey farm now for this thing. And I, can I, I know what the fuck you're doing with my time. Can I just say I love roads in this movie so much? Oh, we should just get to that actor. Um, he's played by Joseph Pilato, who, and I found out that Joseph Pilato actually has a role in Dawn of the Dead as well. He's one of the yeah. Movies. I was yeah. no, I was telling you that uh, when we watched it, he's one of the people at the docks at the beginning of the movie. You're right. You did say that. Yeah. 
So you just didn't know who I was talking about because you hadn't seen Dot Day yet. Yeah, well, well, there you go. But now I know. Oh man, Joe's my favorite character in this movie is um, Terry Alexander as Flyboy. It was uh, well, John Flyboy is apparently his full title in the movie, but um, I remember him as Flyboy. This Flyboy for me is more memorable than the Flyboy in the original. I, I mean, in Dawn of the Dead specifically, but. Joseph Pilato has some of, like, the greatest line deliveries of all time. Or <laughs> he just... It's, li- it's like um, Palpatine in, like, the Star Wars movies where just his delivery is just... He brings up... He uplifts the material a bit, brings in the cheese, and just brings in this dramatic, almost, like, stage-like presence to, it, to his lines. He has some of the greatest presence in this movie that I think no other actor could probably deliver. And just real quick as well to say, uh, rest in peace, Joseph Pilato. Yeah. Uh, he passed away two years ago. Yeah. It's sad. It's very sad. Um, he had a lot. He had, he did have a decent long life, but yeah, of he course was we could have had him for, we could have had him for longer, but at least he got to, uh, you know, age 70. And but no. can I just say that I I appreciate him even more because he's a metal gray mom and he was a Disney mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a huge Disney mom fan, but uh, yeah, sorry, continue. No, but yeah, Joseph Joseph Pilato is awesome, not just for his line deliveries, but for the fact that he is the principal antagonist of the movie. Forget the zombies. The zombies are a force of nature. It's it's Captain Rhodes who essentially becomes the main antagonist because he tries to assert control in the situation that, and although it's understandable with his degradation, he event because he's obsessed with trying to assert control in a situation that is increasingly going out of control. He's so obsessed with that that he decides to like I no longer care about the well-being of people. I'm just interested in just trying to grasp onto whatever sort of control I have left. And he throws people to the wolves constantly, just in the pro- constant process of asserting control over the scenario that he's in. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he's my favorite character in this movie. I agree with you about the Flyboy in this movie, because um, that actor is also awesome. Uh, I don't know how good that Jamaican accent is supposed to be, but it's better than Kendra from Buffy. That's the only like gauge that I have. <laughs> I I need to see more from Ter- Terry Alexander. He's um his wiki is rather short because it just says he's an American actor who's best known for his role as John in Day of the Dead, and that's essentially it. He has like a few other like film stuff and has yeah, some smaller roles in uh, some TV stuff. But he's more or less known for this in Day of the Dead. Um, I don't know, Terry Alexander. I can look him up earlier to see later to see if he actually does have a Jamaican accent, but I don't think he does. I think he's just trying to do his best to... Well, there, there's a thing about the 80s where there was a bit of a revival of spiritual culture of sorts. Not necessarily Christian, but just general spirituality. And I think that there was an idea of, like, the Jamaican man seeming, like, more in touch with spiritual forces or something like that. 
And they try to play into that sort of idea with his character, where he's not he's not a man of science. He's a man of well, this is how I feel about what nature and what, you know, reality is trying to say. I don't know if there is a God, but if he's there, he's he's probably put this upon us because we can't explain what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. As a scientist generally say that there's no rhyme or reason why these zombies are living. They just do. But we're trying to adapt as best as we can to the situation. Yeah. And I mean I think that's something America had to say overall with you know the scientists trying to figure out the origin of these things. He's saying, look, it doesn't matter. You're fo- like the humans would be focusing on the wrong thing. Hmm. You're he's not trying to fix it, he's trying to put a band-aid. Also, shout out to um got the cast right here. Let me it's a much bigger cast, a much better, bigger budget than the last one. What is his name? Ah, special shout out as well to Richard Liberty, who played Doctor Frankenstein. Yeah, uh, he's awesome. Uh, also rest in peace as well. He passed away twenty-one years. Can you believe that? It, it's an old movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was, yeah. Um, the. So it, like we said, it's a bigger cast and a bigger budget, but a smaller location. Yeah, it. The, the weird thing is, it's probably a bigger location in reality than a mall necessarily, but it feels smaller. Yeah, because there's just there's less places that the characters can, can go. Well, because but even we, yeah, oh. we put the military as the antagonists, and because they control these spaces. The other characters don't want anything to do with these guys and try to stay away from from them as much as possible. So you feel like they're kind of cordoned off. But even quite... compared to, to Dawn, like Dawn, you know, you start out in the newsroom and then you have the apartment. Like you get the, that city thing with at the beginning, but the rest of the movie is in that bunker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is... Uh, well, except, except for the very end, but I mean... Uh, this is a very claustrophobic film, um, and I don't know if you looked into the reception of this movie, but interestingly enough, this movie was not well received. No, not at all. Most people still think that this is probably like the the worst one out of the trilogy. Uh, they although kind of highlight worst, yeah, which I, feel, which I feel is bizarre. I feel like this movie doesn't get enough credit for what it's doing. Yeah. Well, and you say that, but it's an interesting because all my friends that are horror film fans love this. <laughs> but growing up, like, I'd always heard, oh, you know, this is kind of the, like, it's the third movie. It's not as great. And the first time I watched it, I was like, this kind of was like, you know, I don't get it. But uh, then I rewatched it a few years ago uh, when I started my previous job, and I was like, oh, this is fucking awesome. Uh, so yeah, I think this is definitely the, the uh, most underrated of the original Dead trilogy. And as much as some people are going to crucify me for this, I'm going to say this is my second favorite in the trilogy. Uh, so it's going to be Dawn, Day, and the Night. So for me, I mold this over a bit, but this is how I feel. I actually like Day of the Dead more than Dawn. Granted, I like Dawn. But I really do like. Here's the thing: it's like it's weird because I can definitely recognize in some ways how Don is a bit more competent. But there's something about Day of the Dead that just appeals to me. 
Like we get quite a bit, we get a faster pace, which I guess appeals to me a bit more. Um, it's just, and also just some of the line deliveries are awesome. Pilato makes quite a bit of this movie just by itself. And, uh, but I also like Terry Alexander's performance as well, Jamaican accent aside. Um, Lori uh, Car- Cardile, Cardill as a uh, Dr. Sarah Bowman. Um, She's awesome. The casting is great in this movie too. Yeah, uh, I, I think they have. I think they lift up this material as well. So, uh, not to get us too sidetracked or anything, but this just this just came to my mind, especially when you said pacing. If you have time this week, I have a writing writing request for you. Mm-hmm. I would like you to watch the theatrical cut of Dawn of the Dead, which is half an hour shorter, and write me a review. Compare how you think about the theatrical cut to the. Yeah, okay. yeah, I get you. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Um, no, and that's probably, that is definitely worthy of discussion. I because I, I actually agree with you that I don't think the extended cut flows as well. But that's why it's the extended cut, because the director's cut is technically the theatrical cut of Donovan did because he edited that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back to back to this movie. I agree with you. Uh, I And I think he's tackling more subjects in this movie, but again, he's it's background stuff that just comes naturally as the characters are interacting and as you see the setting and what the world is like. And this is so Dawn of the Dead is a very seventies film. Uh, this is a very eighties film. Yeah, and you very can awesome. see the difference in decades just in these two films. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a little bit of touch on like toxic masculinity with uh, the one guy that's going nuts like he's afraid that sh- that his girlfriend has made him look like an ass in front of his friends. Uh, well, I mean, not just that, but also just generally just degrading in general. Just yeah. yeah. Uh, there's what? the you know the science the army guys that treat the. The one woman in the group, like an animal, or like a piece of meat, essentially just for breeding material. Granted, of course, another flyboy then comes at it to where I mean, no, you're not a piece of meat. Of course, at the same time, it'll be easier to restart society if we have a you know a healthy woman in the mix as well. So it's not as if they're like the healthier characters are forgetting that she's a woman, but he also treats her with respect, which definitely is quite a bit of um. You know, well, and I have a, I have a theory about these characters as well, but I will get into. I did just want to give a shout out as well to one of the soldier guys. I believe it is the one that gets his head torn off, and that like disgusting sound plays, and it's great. Uh-huh. Uh, that is Greg Nicotero. Yeah, that's a uh, Private Johnson. I think is his name. You know, generic name. You know, you probably uh, wouldn't remember it, but yeah. You know. Okay. Well, and I have this issue with all of the Romero films. I, as much as I love them, I can't keep his characters straight because they're not like the point of the film. Um, but for anybody who does not know, uh, this was his first major job as a special effects artist. Yeah. Uh, of course, under the, the tutelage of Tom Savini. This movie is Tom Savini's masterpiece. Uh, but he also went on to work in films like Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Frank Herbert's Dune, 
Uh, he does. He's on the Walking Dead shows as a special effects artist, and like the entire premise of The Walking Dead has taken twelve seasons to say what this movie took in like two hours. We're the bad guys. Yeah. But actually, you don't give him enough credit for The Walking Dead. He was he worked as the executive producer and special effects supervisor and primary director of The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead. He actually, yeah, he directed thirty one episodes of uh, The Walking Dead and was also the creator of the web series accompanying it as well. But, but more yeah. importantly, sorry to interrupt, but more importantly, he was the on um, the special effects team for my favorite film, Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is he is up there with Tom Savini in like the horror special effects. Like, if there's a Hall of Fame, we're putting Tom Savini and Greg Nicotero in there. Like, um, but yeah, so this and this movie is also different from Dawn, not just in you know this is a very eighties movie and the pacing, but this is a very talky film. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead was that in a way too, but it would splice in you know scenes of gore and stuff to keep the audience going. Here, Ramirez is like, no, you're going to listen to what I have to say. And at the end, if you stick throughout the movie, you're going to get rewarded. And Boy, is the last one like twenty minutes? Just yeah, I would say thirty, but yeah, twenty thirty minutes. Yeah, I think as much as we follow the human character, I think Romero considers Bub the protagonist of this. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, well, it's difficult to say. Um, Bub is one of my favorite portions of this movie as well. Um, it's it's difficult because a lot of what we're doing is trying to interpret his behavior based on his actions, which you almost can't which you can't attribute to any of the other zombies, but he but it's because he's affected by Dr. Frankenstein. Um or Logan as he's called, because that's his actual name in the movie. But people make the name him as Frankenstein. It def you definitely question how much agency Bob has, and as it gets further and further in the film you begin to think he's almost human which definitely gets into a very interesting discussion of what are we willing to sacrifice to hopefully give humanity back to these monsters and so and I this uh, just to bring up Land of the Dead again because I think in certain places Land of the Dead is very connected to this film thematically Hmm. do you see did you get kind of the parallels I did between Bub and the smart gas mechanic zombie in that movie uh, you definitely get to it that way. I think, person personally, the whole um, deeper thinking that George Romero is trying to put the audience through, I think it goes a little overboard in Land of the Dead. I think it reaches a pretty good balance in this movie, though. Um, but the thing, but the thing is, like with the parallels, I think Bob is a bit better developed than the mechanic zombie in Land of the Dead. Because there isn't exactly that much of a rhyme or reason for why the mechanic is the way that he is. He just is. So it's more of a primal thing. See, I'm going to argue with you on that one. Because none of these movies are connected, obviously, other than they all all in a zombie apocalypse, except for thematic. And Romero starts this stuff in Dawn of the Dead. Because you get stuff like they know that they want to be in the mall, they just don't know why. Flyboy, remembering where the uh, 
their hideout is. Remember? He's the one that leads them there when he becomes a zombie. I think it is just Romero is keeping track of how much time has passed in this world. Possibly. He's, he's you know, ambiguous about it, of course. But I think he is saying that given enough time, all of the other zombies will be as smart as Bub without having to be trained. We are what's out there. Possibly. Obviously, that is just my read. It might just be he felt like he had to have a smart zombie in that movie because Bub is, you know, the most popular thing in that movie. Bub is the best, by the way. He is my favorite, like, zombie. I don't know who, I don't remember who that actor is, but he does wonderful. He he is played by Sherman Howard, who is That's... known for this movie. He also voiced a Derek Powers in Batman Beyond. He was also Lex Luthor on Superboy. Yeah. He he has quite a bit of uh, film and TV uh, credits. Um, yeah, he he has also had a pretty semi-successful uh, career. Yeah. Uh, he was actually, they made a big deal out of this. I don't know if you know this, but The walk, Walking Dead tried to get Romero to direct an episode. He said no. Hmm. Uh, he said he felt it was too soap opera. But you can't really disagree with him, dude. But they did, if I remember correctly, get this actor back to play a zombie that looked like Bub. Mm. I can't he, find it now, but I yeah. swear I remember that. Oh, yeah. In addition to his uh, film and TV credits, he also has quite a few um, video game uh, voice voice roles as well. Which yeah. Is- and yeah, he does some pretty good voice work in this movie too. It kind of it kind of shows his creativity with trying to uh, mimic the fact that his vocal cords aren't supposed to work properly, but just barely able to communicate words. And he does an incredible job. I I find that scene where he finds Frankenstein's body really touching. Yeah, I feel bad for him because he doesn't understand. Yeah. Uh, and it is kind of funny as well. Like, there's a little humor in, in places in this movie. But, like, oh, yeah. his chain breaks, and the first thing he does is go to tell Frankenstein about it. Yeah. It's just, I'm doing smarter, man. Oh, you're dead. No! I felt really bad for him. It's like, it shows that he's becoming more human. Sentient, yeah. Yeah. And it, a zombie goes on a revenge quest. That doesn't happen. Awesome. That doesn't happen. And it have happens you, here. It's fantastic, and I love it. Yeah, I was going to say, have you ever seen the like the whole last thirty minutes of this movie? Have you ever seen anything like it in another movie? No, and it's that's it's probably one of the reasons why I like this film so much because Dude, it, when, yeah, what it, ma- it manages to pull off is it's when, fantastic. When Bub salutes uh, Rhodes before he gets killed, it's like fuck yeah, yeah. It's, and you you hate Rhodes. And you hate what he's doing, which it's just you see these you see these actors just they're bouncing off each other and they're supporting each other in this movie in such a way that just creates fantastic chemistry. It, it's great. The other the other thing I appreciate is that there's also a big thing here about knowledge versus strength, but Romero doesn't pick a side. They're both equally bad without the other. Yeah, because yes, the military people in this are assholes and like they're mistreating people. But Frankenstein's also a crazy person. 
who can't tell human life from anything else. And no, I think that he can, but I think that actually accentuates his insanity. Because despite the fact that he acknowledges it, he just wants to advance this sense of gaining knowledge for its own sake, which becomes not just self-destructive, but self-destructive for everybody else, because everyone's depending upon him. If he was humble enough to admit, I'm sorry, I'm not smart enough, I can't find a solution, we need to get out of here. If he was able to say that, a lot of this conflict could have been avoided. But instead, you know, we get things like he switched out bodies with the previous colonel. Uh, he's been feeding these zombies dead soldiers meat, which is what really drives Rose over the edge. And the other than the monkey farm scene, that is the other scene that most comes to mind with thinking about Rhodes is he looks unhinged. Like, he has just had his entire world changed. There, I think there was an implication, which I definitely think makes for a very interesting plot structure, where I think there was this, there was this idea with the whole reward thing, because Frankenstein openly talks about the fact that he's rewarding the zombies. I think the characters were thinking, okay, he's feeding them either food that we eat or zombie flesh or something. He deliberately hides that he's feeding the flesh of people that were never turned. Which is why it becomes so monstrous to them. Which I think the re- the reveal of that is just fantastic, and it's very shocking when Rhodes like comes back into the camera to like you know grab you know the doctor. It, it's just it's just fantastic pacing, a fantastic shot work. It, you know. And I have to give kudos to both those actors as well because throughout the whole movie, I think out of everyone, those two play off each other the best. Because Frankenstein has just this kind of like tired, like bored of this thing, and he's never phased, even when you know Rhodes is like screaming in his face. Whereas Rhodes, you know, he's angry and hostile. They just they balance off of each other. He's phased, but you can definitely see portions where his mess cracks ever so slightly to reveal just how desperate and insane he really is. Um, especially the part point where he's talking when he goes and in, goes into the meeting where the captain has just threatened Bowman with with you know extreme with extremes. Yeah. And he just shows there there's no point to any of this if I'm not able to come up with something out of this. Because I'm almost the point. Does it mean that I'm pointless despite all my knowledge that I've accrued over the years? And he just, he doesn't want to confront it or be humble enough and mature enough to admit it. So he delves into insanity like quite a few of the other people in this movie do. So before we get into wrap up, because we've been talking about this mm-hmm. quite a bit, and there's just so much to talk about. Yeah. Uh, we could do this all day, but we didn't have all day. <laughs> Unfortunately um, let me ask you this. Now that you've seen the entire trilogy, mm-hmm. is this one of the most consistent trilogies out? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. De- definitely, definitely, definitely. And honestly, the effects the effects work like get increasingly good with each installment in this trilogy of sorts. Romero himself doesn't consider it a trilogy, I understand. Um, but I think in many ways his work is informed by what he's done previously. 
Which is why Day of the Dead is what it is. Because Dawn of the Dead is Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, I'm going to fight him on that one. I love Romero, especially for these three movies. But if it's not a trilogy, A, you wouldn't get hit with the namings, Night, Dawn, and the Day. And B, each of these movies, even though they're not connected character-wise, is building on itself thematically. And Day of the Dead is kind of the cap-off of everything he's been saying with his and this movie has fantastic gore effects in an 80s film. Savini knocks it out of the park with his work and the help that he gets to be able to do what he's doing. So I'm man, glad you... Man, it's great. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I don't know how this slipped my mind, but I did want to take some time to talk about the effects because they are worth talking about. Mm-hmm. This is part of what makes me uncomfortable when watching this movie in a good way. The scene where the guy who's on him and on him throughout the entire movie goes up on the elevator and just lays there and lets that him, I shudder every time. It's like, can you imagine letting something do that to you? It, it's just prompted by his idea of just being destructive and just wanting some sense of, well, control. Even if it means that he's going to hurt everybody that he knows, he's not... It's it's this idea of evil slowly creeping into someone's mind, just eventually just degrade their moral fiber. And yeah, it, it, yeah, it you shudder not just because of the context, but also the subcontext of what the character is feeling or what you interpret the character to probably be feeling. And it's present throughout a lot of these characters stuff because none of these people were the way they were before the apocalypse. They were probably decent, you know, more or less stable people. But just based on whatever their you know critical flaws were at the beginning and their willingness to confront them. You know, you have certain people that are able to continue to be stable and be, you know, positive, you know, supportive people. And the other guys who they can't deal with, you know, having their flaws be, you know, accentuated in a stressful environment. Oh. Um and you, yeah, and, you, and then you put up the idea of strength as well. You see people who are very competent with firearms. You have the military that are very negative forms of power. And then you have Flyboy. And um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Jarlath. A guy played by Jarlath Conroy. Uh, Bill McDermott? Uh, I don't remember. You don't remember. Oh, the, the, the electrician. Yeah, Bill. Yeah. I have it pulled up here. In front of me. I have but, two monitors yeah. now. I can help. But yeah, him and the electrician show that power is supposed to be used to protect, not to be used for, you know, domination. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and then to to accentuate the, the gore effects, which I think this is some of the best gore effects in an 80s film ever. Like, it's all consistent, it's all completely good. And there are just scenes where Savini's showing off. Like, oh, yeah. when, uh, when Frankenstein's, like, showing her his experiments, and that one zombie gets free and it guts just like dangle everywhere. Like, okay, Savini, we get it. Like, you're a genius. But uh, to accentuate that, you also get some of the coolest sound design. We mentioned this briefly. Uh, I think both in, on this episode and in the in the Discord. But the one zombie, the one guy that gets trapped on that like cardboard thing, and they're like ripping his head off. I don't know how the hell they did it. But the sound mixing is like screeching as he's getting torn off apart. 
And it sounds like what I would imagine vocal cords being ripped as they're being used. Yeah, if they were being stretched out, the frequency would become more shrill. It shows that they put so much thought into it before getting. It's just God, like. Yeah, they choose good points to put in music and when just to be silence. Going to go into Pilato's deliveries again. It's like he's on a stage, and a lot and a lot of this is a very talkative movie. But it's like a lot of these characters are, like in Shakespeare's plays, kind of like delivering their soliloquies on stage. And you get to hear the natural acoustics give like a sort of haunting edge to each of the people's deliveries. Pilato's like over-the-top and powerful loud delivery shows that he's a character that's trying to assert himself into every situation to keep himself relevant. You have like the quiet acoustic deliveries of Dr. Frankenstein showing calm, but a sort of uneasy calm that is a calm that should not be present because it shows that there's some there's something wrong underneath. Um, you know, the more even-handed, you know, consistent delivery of, of Dr. Bowman's character that shows that she's she's level-headed. Not exactly should always be in control, but definitely a pos- trying to be as positive an influence as possible. Um, yeah, it it's like this. This and Dawn, it's like you can go into quite a like a huge discussion about the production of these movies, and you just if you want to understand how films work, these are some of the movies that you need to focus on to see you know what it is that you're supposed to do, what it is that you're supposed to focus on, the small details as they accumulate. Those are what make great films, not just the big things that you focus on. Yeah. Now a few people who want to be uh, but I'm I'm not a <laughs> but uh yeah and then also I just want to give a shout out again for the effects but for the beginning uh because you start out using that that city shot and that one zombie comes on just because the title card popped up and it's like his head is like split from here down. Remember what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. No, that was... You get a sense of the tone of the film just based off of that alone. Just, just that the, right the there. Camera angle, slow neck turn. Ugh. Yeah. It's so, um, it's so uncomfortable. I love it. And then probably, like, the magnum opus of this film is, of course, Rhodes' death. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not only is it satisfying just from a, like, visual standpoint, but it's kind of the buildup of the entire film. Like, he's an asshole to everybody, and then you watch Bub get his revenge, and he gets torn apart. And his dying words are, choke on him. I hope you choke on him, and it's awesome. His consistent character is character. He doesn't <laughs> just devolve into something different at the end. He truly is just a complete butthole, even to the end. Imagine, yeah. so, imagine if he was a zombie coming back and getting his humanity back. Like that could if, be interesting. If everyone, if the zombies were would gradually accumulate, you know, the means of eventually becoming just as smart as they were, or just like what they were beforehand. Imagine a world where it's just zombies that are left. What yeah. happens then? Do we just do we get a repeat of these people in hell? Just you know, where they they never learn. They just are doomed to repeat, you know, what they are. That, that's well, another I conversation mean, there. Just about I, if if you consider land in the same 
continuity. And I use that with a heavy quotation marks. But I think there is a thorough timeline you can create for these three Then it kind of shows that we didn't learn anything because we just keep, we stay we stayed doing the same thing we were doing. Yeah. Uh, it's sad, but it's it's like one of those things where we need to examine what fiction says in order to see what we can learn from what people what the artist is trying to say. And maybe we could become better people by, you know, engaging in communication, however fanciful it is. Yep. But yeah, I'm really glad you like this uh, this film. Uh, I, I think it's kind of interesting as well like the, that the original theatrical poster is so bland that we've never used it again for, a, like, a re-release. But every Dawn of the Dead release is just a theatrical poster. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so my final thoughts are this is an underrated zombie film. It's the second best in the trilogy. I'm sorry, Knight, I love you, but you're, the, you're my least favorite in the trilogy. You're the most yeah. important, but for my taste, I prefer the other two. Uh, I would watch any of them, don't get me wrong. I love these movies. I'm going to give this also a 5 out of 5. I would give this... Um... I hesitate to rate this above um, Dawn of the because I see I see certain things where it doesn't do as good of a job, but it's like it's like comparing two different things. I say don't make a choice. Watch all three movies: Night of the Living Dead through Day of the Dead. Just watch all of them. You have time. You're watching all stuff all the time anyway. I see you in your Netflix account or your Amazon Prime account. You have the time for this. Night of the Living Dead is everywhere. Like, yeah. But just, uh, yeah, just watch them. Um, I'll rate it a four uh, a four point five again. So I, like I'm gonna. Low. I, I think sometimes the racial commentary is a bit heavy handed. Sometimes, like a little bit on the nose. So if that has to drop it down a little bit. So mm. I will. I will say this. I rate these both five out of five, but for different reasons. So I don't think there's an issue with putting day rating above dawn because it'd be for a different reason than what you rated dawn, day or dawn. So whatever you want to rate it. I don't but, know, just, uh, just within my own inconsistent head, it's not as if we can rate these perfectly anyway with a 5 out of 5. Just how I feel in the moment, scores change as time goes along. So Yeah, and I mean, like, these are my own biases. Like, I love these zombie movies. Dawn of the Dead, you know, spurred my interest in entire genre. Um, you're free to disagree with us. Let us know your your ratings down in the comments below, or if you're listening to this after the fact on Spotify or any of the services on, send us a message on Twitter. Let us know what you think. But if you haven't seen these and you are a horror fan, I beg you, watch these movies. They are quintessential mm -hmm. horror. They're just quintessential films in general, I would say. Never mind all, if let's say you're not a horror fan, watch these movies anyway. If you if you love special effects, you will appreciate how these movies work with it. If you're interested in you know plot structure and like how characters are supposed to interact with each other, yeah, watch this too. You'll definitely see three different ways how it's approached. Absolutely. Um, well, um, so like we mentioned at the beginning, next week is episode twenty. I don't know if I want to plan anything in advance, just some you know quick after the. 
back shirt before we go off the air. Do we want to spin the wheel this week to see if to give us some options? Hmm. How about this? We're going to keep it a mystery until episode 20 comes around. But in the background, we'll talk, of course, and we'll figure something out. I like that I idea. Mean, and I mean, we have definitely already thought of something, everyone. Don't worry. And we are also going to take, I think, submissions as well. If there's something you'd like to see us talk about next week, leave it in the comments below. And if it interests me or Milton or both of us, we'll, we'll think about giving it a whirl. But until next time, uh, thank you guys for hanging out and listening to us fanboy over these movies. And uh, we'll see you guys next Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Thank you for watching, everyone. Have a good day. Oh, before I...